Welcome back to the Water Table Podcast. Today we are going to be um, doing a year in review. 2023 was a year we took the Water Table Podcast on the road. Our first stop was the North American Conservation and Drainage Expo Conference in Des Moines, Iowa, where we caught up with multiple guests. One of those people was Dr. Shedeker, who talked about his research into control drainage and who just happens to oversee the International Drainage Hall of Fame. What I'm working on is more uh, smart ways of controlling the drainage. Uh, We have more automated systems coming up, uh, smart drainage systems coming up, and we're looking at automated control structures Uh, and what their potential could be in the landscapes uh, compared to the conventional manual control structures. So that's something new we're talking about. Uh, We're also looking at how you can pair up control drainage with other practices. Uh, For example, you can use the control structures uh, for sub-irrigation type of a system where you're putting water back into that structure that goes back in the field uh, to provide the the irrigation benefit. Uh, We're also looking at, well, where is the water going to come from? So we're thinking, well, maybe we can in, um, install a recycling system, uh, collect the drainage water, especially during the months when we don't need it, collect it, store it, and recycle it back into the system uh, for irrigation or any other purposes. So those are some of the water management practices we're working on. We're also looking uh, very deep into how you can uh, manage the water quality issues. And uh, drainage sits at the, uh, the perfect perfect position for helping solve some of those issues. As I mentioned, as part of my position, uh, I also got the responsibility to lead the, uh, the Drainage Hall of Fame. Um, it's not as uh, glorious or as big as uh, the NFL Hall of Fame or any other Hall of Fames, but uh, apparently Columbus is home to like 25 different Hall of Fame uh, and Drainage Hall of Fame is one of Drainage them. Drainage is one of them. That's yeah. all right. So, uh, so to uh, just to share some history with you, uh, this was started uh, in 1979. Uh, Glenn Schwab, Professor Glenn Schwab, who was uh, my predecessor, a very well-known uh, uh, drainage expert, he uh, came up with the idea of you know uh, this Drainage Hall of Fame, and it's an international award. So it's kind of coming up with an international award for outstanding achievements or contributions to the field of drainage. And what he uh, visioned out was the award can be made to anyone who has made significant contributions towards not just research, could be a teacher, could be an extension educator, could be an educator for um, uh, non-traditional audiences and so on, and could be an industry person. And that's what, if you go to, through the list of inductees we have had so far, Uh, that shows that diversity. Since agricultural water management systems are typically buried in the ground, people don't realize how valuable they are. We caught up with Dr. Michael Castellano, a professor of soil science at Iowa State University. He is a Midwest transplant from Newark, New Jersey, and says he thinks the underground drainage system is more valuable than the underground transit system. Sometimes I kind of tell a little story about this before I uh, start talking about drainage uh, systems in the Midwest, because uh, I grew up in, uh, well, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, uh, grew up in the suburbs of New York. My dad took the bus and trained uh, Manhattan every day for work. (laughs) 
And uh, so certainly didn't grow up on a farm, not far from farmers, uh, though. My grandparents and great grandparents, uh, immigrants, were farmers uh, back in Europe. And, uh, and you know, my dad was out here uh, visiting us in 2019. Um, and you remember 2019, mm-hmm. uh, one of the wettest springs on record. We had all sorts of uh, agricultural losses, uh, particularly on the Missouri, but also in the Mississippi. And we're driving around, and he still lives in uh, the New York City area. And he says, boy, you guys have got a big water problem here you got to take care of. This can't be uh, good for growing corn and soybeans. And I said to him, I said, you you know, Dad, uh, we've got a drainage infrastructure below ground that you can't see that's more valuable than the transportation structure underground that you took to work every day when I was a kid. And, you know, he was just so stunned to learn about that and got all interested in it. And and I think it's just a really neat story because most people in the United States, I don't think, have an appreciation for the enormous, well-planned, incredibly high-tech uh, engineering um, approach we have to water management uh, in the Midwest. There's water quality issues and they're created by all this drainage infrastructure. And in reality, that's just simply not true. Couldn't be farther from the truth. There is problems with our water quality. Those problems would be there whether there was drainage systems or not. Um, But what we can do, and we've, you know, there's been problems created, obviously, with drainage. um, But what we're learning every day and what we can do is, is, can be so positively impactful to our environment. Um, And, it's pretty neat for me to to be able to have somebody like you on and then be able to talk about those three things, uh, carbon, nitrogen, and water. And so um, it's just interesting that you shared that around because it's absolutely true that most people don't have a way to understand that because you can't see it. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily at first glance appreciate that with you know, like with drainage and all things in life, there are few solutions. Really, we won't need to be thinking about in trade-offs, in terms of trade-offs. And drainage presents a remarkable opportunity to minimize the trade-offs between crop production, which we obviously need to feed ourselves, and environmental performance, keeping that, um, you know, high-quality, uh, you know, environmental functions that we rely on uh for clean water and and other things every day. And I think a a great example for me of that is that, you know, we've drained the Midwest. That was a decision made over a hundred years ago and it's done. Now the upper corn belt is the most productive grain production system in the world. And it's because of the drains we have there. At the same time, we know those drains created some water quality challenges by exacerbating nitrate loss downstream. But they also create an enormous opportunity to reduce that nitrate loss downstream. Since we heard about the International Drainage Hall of Fame, we decided to catch up with Charlie Schaefer, who was a recent inductee. Charlie is the president of Drain Corporation and a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the real value of water. We had land that you could literally buy pretty good land for 1250 bucks an acre back then, uh, amazingly enough, and, and your drainage system could cost that much. And, and our weather patterns were pretty consistent. We'd pretty much get the rain in, in those weird regions, and, and so 
the the downside risk of too wet, too dry wasn't as prevalent as it is today, and the economics were different. And, and so we put some of these manual systems in place, with, we, I should say, the industry, uh, but we didn't really do the follow through, didn't do automation, didn't make it easy, didn't quantify the return on investment. And guys said, you know what, I'm just going to buy more land. And, and that was the best choice for them at the time. That was the right thing to do. But now we see the economics have changed. Certainly, we've gone $12,500, $15,000 land, and a, a big subsurface draining system still costs about $1,250 bucks or $1,500, and then throw some uh, irrigation on top of it. It's not that much more, especially when you take into account state and federal funding. You know, you were doing this 35, 40 years ago when land was 1200 bucks an acre, and so was a drainage system. And today, you know, land has gone up 10, 15, you know, if you're in North uh, West Iowa, 20 times maybe, you know, and, and drainage system pretty close to the same. Um, with, so it's actually cheaper when you think of how everything else that's relevant and inflation and everything. So, um, so you can't afford not to do it now where it, where it was. I mean, I, I know those stories. I kind of got started my career kind of on the back end of all that, but where it, the hardest part of selling, uh, drainage, at the beginning of my career was in a lot of areas was, well, why wouldn't I just buy more land? You know, why would I spend this money? And, and I'm glad you said that at that time, with how it's played out. That was the right decision, right? It was definitely the right decision. But as we go now, I'm also curious just around um, water and being able to retain water on your land. And what, what is that worth? What is the value? <clears throat> you're, you're quantifying that value in yield, which is one way to quantify it. But, you know, there's other potential applications and potential areas where we can com compound and store water and, you know, reuse it or sell it, or there will be lots of opportunities with that. I think that people now in, in certain areas are, are looking at the value of water and the capture and reuse or the, the, the capture, storage, and strategic release prior to a rainfall event. We also had a conversation with Dr. Jane Frankenberger of Purdue University about the Transforming Drainage Project, a project that was funded with a $5 million grant. The project had 39 sites and 29 of the brightest minds in the drainage industry and research. The hope is that as agencies prioritize among practices, right, because these are obviously not the only practices, they'll realize that um, addressing... Um, Maybe an innovative drainage management practice is a very important practice to to fund and to to support in various ways. That's what the data allows us to do that that just talking about it it um, wouldn't. So every agency I've talked with, including EPA, um, the various USDA agencies, and many state agencies that have been involved, um, have been very supportive and very welcoming of of the project. They, of course, need data too. They can't support a project if there aren't data that show it's effective. So I would say it, it also helps them. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the name of this transforming drainage, and you gave a nice uh, explanation of kind of how that came about. But in reality, you're, you've done these projects, you've done this research, um, and you're getting all these results, and you may not see some of the actual transforming in the field and in every, you know, in the day-to-day -day practices for a while. Um, but because of the results you're getting of really significant um, 
good results around control drainage and saturated buffers. Those are the two I'm most familiar with. But, um, you know, people are going to start to do them even if they aren't uh, required or if there isn't a cost sharing involved. And I think because of the positive results, those things will come too around cost share over time. But um, that's when the transforming actually happens, right? So you have something you're yeah. called. And, and one of the things that we said in our vision was that um, people would at least start to consider a, a practice. Like if you say that you're going to tile a field, we hope that at least people will ask the question, the contractor, the, the producer saying, okay, would you like to in, in, install control structures and have the possibility of controlled drainage? So even if you decide no, at least it's considered, whereas before that question probably wasn't even asked. What do, what do you, do you ever think about, um, you know, what things will look like in 20 years 40 years, 60 years in regards to some of these um, significant projects that you've been involved with and worked on. And, and what will that look like on a large scale? And as, as uh, you know, you may not be around in 60 years, but but what would it look like for, um, you know, some of your relatives that are driving down the road and, and seeing the landscape in Indiana and the Midwest um, in regards to things that you worked on? Because I think that's pretty neat. Um, do you ever think about that? Wow, it's, that's a big question. And in fact, I'm I'm uh, less optimistic that I can predict anything because what I thought 20 years ago would be in place now is not. So <laughs> it's very hard. Um, but I will say um, in the agricultural world around places like here at Purdue, um, looking at digital solutions, the data science that's just exploding, um, people do seem to be very confident that we'll be able to manage much more, um, you know, remotely and th through various digital means than, than we have now. As the automated systems become more feasible, become more affordable, then that starts to open up whole new ways of collecting data and of getting systems on the field that were obviously very heavily manual before. So certainly people will be doing things more automatically. What they'll be doing, uh, it's hard to say. I got kicked out of my hosting chair by my wife in one of the most popular episodes ever. Christine invited Kitty Rodelius, wife of longtime Princeco employee Kent Rodelius, to come to the studio and talk about what it's been like to be married to drainage for several decades. It's been a blast. It's been wonderful to be involved in people's lives, to watch our husbands flourish, to watch them do something they love doing. Um, I don't think work was hard for Kent because he loved it. Um, that's a good way for a wife to send a husband out the door, knowing that he's doing something he really cares about and loves and um you know, I think there's some husbands who are wives who have to say, you need to get to work. Man, I just never had to say that. He was just always gangbusters to go. So, you know, and that only amplified when Jamie came on board. He loved working with Jamie. So they just had a lot of fun, didn't they? They had a lot of fun. So much fun together. And I will tell you, I sincerely mean this. I have heard more kind words over the years about their friendship, how much fun they've had together, and how much Kent has sharpened Jamie. And so Kent and you, Kitty, have been a blessing personally and professionally 
to ourselves, to the Prinsko family, and it has been a blast. And when you when you talk about um, being grateful, I just hear your sincere sincerity and your grateful heart. I get a little bit choked up because we have a lot to be thankful oh, for we? and um, much to celebrate. And I always say, if I'm so lucky to be 80 someday, I'm going to die a learner. We're all going to continue to learn and sharpen, but it is so fun to see these husbands be so passionate about water management and get behind them. But I think it's been a gift to us wives as well. We've been able to serve people, laugh with people, um, to try to make a difference. The water table hit the road again for the Iowa Laika field days in July. We talked about safety, training on equipment simulators, and met with contractors and talked about the batch and build efforts across the state of Iowa with Matt McDonald and Ruth McCabe, who focus on building public-private partnerships. Heartland created its conservation team in 2020. I was hired at that time to help them flesh out how an ag-retailer could play a role in conservation. We knew this is the way of the future. This is what's coming. We've got to step into that space and play a role in it. And so my goal was to form partnerships with anybody who was willing to actually focus on a common goal and get shit done. Sorry. Get that, stuff that was done. The bleep. There you go. <laughs> oh, man. I was so proud of myself. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. I was doing so good. You can just erase that and I'll say it over again. Our goal behind these partnerships is to find partners who would come to the table, focus on a common goal, and focus get on getting stuff. There you go. There you go. <laughs> getting, getting shit done. That's what we care about. And I'm serious about this, right? You, it, it's, it, it can be very divisive in agriculture in general. Uh, people get, you get the environmentalist side, you get urban folks, you get rural folks, and it becomes this divisive issue. And it doesn't need to be. This is right. so silly. doesn't need to be divisive. But everybody... Agencies, public, private, nonprofit, everybody can come together and say, what's our common goal? We want to clean up this watershed. We want to reduce nitrates in this watershed. We want to reduce soil or sediment loading. Let's focus on that. We can set aside political agenda. We can set aside other agendas. Those get left at the door. When we come together, we focus on what the solutions are to solve this problem. Then we work together. We come up with a solution, and then we go after it. We attack it. We throw everything that we have at it. That's what a batch and build is, and that's what these public-private partnerships are in conservation. I had a couple of special guests in the studio to kick off a summer video series. My son Harris and his cousin Griffin Dunnick, who previewed their road trip to resiliency, What's Buried Beneath. They headed out on a road trip this past summer and put more than 9,000 miles on Harris's truck and got to meet water management experts, contractors, visit job sites across the country, and see how water is managed in different climates and how plastic pipe is resilient. I'd say for me, it was just learning a lot about the, just like the storm chambers, and because I didn't know a whole lot about it going into it. And I mean, I'd seen them before, but then seeing them being put together in the ground and just the whole process behind that, and hearing the pros and cons of like, whether that's the irrigation pond saving land and just being able to put the water somewhere like I mean it's raining out today, but just knowing knowing that it's all underneath the parking lot was pretty cool to see. So I didn't know a whole lot about that before then. But And do you do you guys that's interesting. We'll talk about that in the applications in a minute, but um just spurred another question. But because of the road trip, does it feel like 
different things you you do now in your life you look at it from a different perspective like when you drive into a to a walmart or target and you think huh i wonder what's underneath this parking lot does that happen or yeah definitely and just even talking with friends or anything you got people our generation they're like that we're driving we see some pipe and they just like talk about it whatever it's getting put in somewhere and i'll just be able to like actually teach them a little bit compared to what i knew before and show them why it's important yeah so yeah good yeah i think the importance of the systems really is exciting because it's all underground it's something that is not seen to the public and griff and i you know growing up as your son i knew that you know plastic water management um, was important but you don't see it unless if you're on the job you don't see where it's at and it's got a really big impact on the residential building or on the farm site or on the you know home site and the septic area so that's pretty cool to see when you're on site physically yeah and i think you know the when you say that you don't see it um that's one of one of the things in the tagline of our of our water table podcast here is just it's this industry is so misunderstood and it's misunderstood because you don't see it because because they don't see it they can't ask questions and they can't try to put it together of how that works why it works with um conveying storing treating um water so um so yeah, that that I am glad you mentioned that because that is a really interesting when you look at it on the agricultural side, and we'll talk about that too. Is all as people see is when they know oh there's a job going in, as they see big rolls of pipe out in a field as they're driving by, but then they don't see it again, and it's in the ground and what it's doing to positively impact that that agricultural field to grow a better crop, but also actually store some water in the soil profile you know there's so many things going on there so as we wrap up 2023 i hope you enjoyed a few of these snippets of the episodes that we did for the water table in 2023 we accomplished a lot in educating our industry and individuals about water management and what's happening in agricultural water management so we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from the water table. We look forward to providing more episodes that are educational and that you can learn from in 2024.